The kids are whispering. They're wanting to make sure this is the proper time. Is it over yet? I think we can go back to class now. Good morning, Stones River. I have my digital and my analog because my digital was messing up this morning, so I may have to just have to have that backup plan. All right. Man, Exodus, this has been good stuff. That was um, a great word that Chuck shared this morning and then what Ben shared. Amazing. Ben called me yesterday. He said, I hadn't been here in a couple weeks, didn't know you were in chapter 12, had planned my uh, communion teaching or speaking on that. I'm like, well, great. The Holy Spirit must just really want us to hover in Exodus chapter 12. It's good with me. I'm loving it. So... Here we go. Y'all ready? All right, cool. So last week, I just want to reiterate, last week we did prepping for Passover. Remember that? We prepped for Passover. And it was really beautiful, actually. It was great to hear for several of the folks kind of at the end of my message, like Pat and stuff, sharing some of the things that have been going on. I thought that was beautiful. And the prayer that David encouraged us to have with one another is awesome. Um, as we prep for Passover, I'm going to remind us of just a thing or two that I mentioned, and then we'll actually look here at Exodus chapter 12. And one of those is a reminder, and Ben already brought this forward to us, is that when God chooses the perfect time for his Messiah to die and to resurrect, when Jesus chooses what last meal he wants to have, which he says, I eagerly am anticipating eating, like he wanted to have this meal with his disciples, what time does he choose? Passover. And I think that that speaks to how I've been mentioned, like it is such a critical foundational piece to the story of God that Jesus and God through Jesus is calling back to that even now or even when Jesus is breaking the bread. And I think hopefully that as we go back and at the end of the message kind of we'll head towards this again. We're gonna, we may look at the way he broke the bread and what he's doing as being something maybe even, even bigger than which forgiveness of sins and stuff we talk about a lot is huge. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely need that a thousand percent. But was there even something bigger that the forgiveness of sins was part of that he's saying, hey, something's happening here. I'm, trying to sh- I'm sharing this with you all, and I'm excited about it. I can't wait. Okay, so it's interesting the way Exodus 12 is. I might be a little j- bit jumpy aroundy. Because he is, is that a word phrase? Because in this, in this chapter, no, it's not, okay. Um, in this chapter, it's God talking uh, to Moses and Aaron and to Israel then, saying this is what you should do now, but also how you commemorate it in the future, all in one chapter, and it kind of bounces like back and forth. Uh, so if you go to the next slide, <clears throat> one of the first things that jumps out So I won't be reading this verse by verse like I do oftentimes, but I'll read some of them. The first thing that jumps out to me is something that maybe we could brush past. And it's in verse 2 when he's talking to Moses and Aaron. He says, this month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Sometimes we read through that and go, oh, no, what God is saying, which is Nisan, God is saying, we know know a lot about Nisan, (laughs) especially if we live in Smyrna. Ah, uh, never mind. That's a, that's an, I'm at the bunny trail. You know, you told me not to do them, Deborah. I just got my transmission fix in my Nissan. I'm not too happy. I'm just kidding. Okay. But 
this shows that God is saying, I, this is such a momentous thing that's about to happen, Israel. Your calendar is actually going to revolve around this date. And as I read through it this time, I don't want to go on too much of a bunny trail, but if you know that for hundreds of years, the Jewish people have celebrated New Year's as Tishrei, which is actually in September, around Rosh Hashanah. And so we might go, what's going on? That's a whole history lesson of why it's celebrated that. But to this day, it's mostly said that there are multiple heads of the year. Like this is, Nisan is the religious liturgical beginning of the year. Tishrei would be the civil or agricultural. That was when the harvest came in and all those things. Kind of like how we celebrate January 1st is our new year, but for teachers, the school year the beginning is the beginning of the year. For certain businesses, you have fiscal years. But needless to say, God says here in Exodus, however it has been celebrated, this is the first month. Mark your calendars. Something big is about to happen. Something monumental is about to happen. Go to uh, the next slide, please. There we go. He says, on the 10th day of Nisan, go pick a lamb. He tells him to choose a lamb and also makes provision for families that are smaller. Maybe they couldn't afford. He says, go together if you need to go together, but pick a lamb and pick one that's without spot and pick one that's without blemish. And I want to take a few moments to skip forward. I hope that everyone can, we can follow, and I'm not doing this, to skip forward and look at some of the New Testament writers thinking back at Christ as our lamb. And specifically Paul, who specifically says Christ is our Passover lamb. Because what I want to look at today is not only what has happened, how it's to be commemorated, and how, what that means for us, right? Like we go, oh, that's cool, some cool stuff I learned about Exodus, but what does that mean? And there's not like, there's actually not tons and tons of references to Christ as lamb in the New Testament. There are, there are some, so I just want to let you know I didn't cherry pick a couple. I just read through some and went, oh, that's an interesting thing that strings between them, and it's kind of by accident. But if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, got there. Paul's actually going to reference and look back at Exodus during a challenging time in the Corinthian church. It is also, while we're all turning there, the phrase that John the Baptist says when he sees Jesus, when he says, here comes, isn't this, what a weird phrase to say. So, Jesus, the, son, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So many of us have read that a thousand times. I don't think how weird or strange that must have been for someone to go, what do you, that person, people aren't sacrifices. That's not supposed to happen. The Lamb of God, he, he takes away the sin of the world. What is he talking about? John talking about this rabbi, and that's strange. But the theme of Christ as our Lamb is, is woven in and out. And here, what I think is really interesting in 1 Corinthians 5 is, Paul is talking about sexual immorality in the church. <laughs> Paul's not talking about um, you know, applying the blood for the forgiveness of sins, which that's part of this. But like he's talking about this thing that's like this that's just part of their lives. And this guy is sleeping with his father's wife, and Paul's like, that's something that even the pagans don't do. Like church and the church is kind of boastful about it. And I don't know if they feel like they're like cutting edge church or something like that, and like, oh, we can do this. Their freedom has brought them to a place where they can celebrate 
this man sleeping with like his mother, uh, uh, not his mother-in-law, not his stepmother. That's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. It's his stepmother and strange. But what's so crazy is he's correcting this and he brings up Exodus. Isn't that like he, <laughs> like this was so impactful that this moment we're talking about this morning about God's great deliverance from Egypt is brought up in a conversation about sexual immorality in the church. And then in verse 6, uh, so 1 Corinthians 5, 6, if you're following along, Paul says, your boasting is not a good thing, because they're boasting about this. Do you not know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? I think I'm becoming convinced that it was Passover time when Paul wrote this, or minimally it's on his mind, because we're going to talk about yeast and unleavened bread and all these things. And he says, listen, a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough, which anyone who's baked anything and put yeast in it, you recognize that, right? Just a little yeast and it does some really cool stuff. He's talking about that with the sin that's taking place among the church. Clean out the old yeast so that you may be a new batch as you really are unleavened. So what he's saying is, is this isn't who you are, Corinthians. Something has taken place and you're living in this old kind of lifestyle because what has taken place is what he says the rest of the verse, for our Paschal or Passover lamb, Christ has been sacrificed. He goes all the way back to Exodus. God is, again, we haven't got to the sacrifice of the lamb, but God is telling the Israelites, pick out the perfect lamb, your best lamb without spot and blemish. And Paul, Paul is going all the way back here when it comes to sexual immorality and saying, listen, when Christ, our Passover lamb, died, something changed dramatically. And what changed dramatically affects the way that we act now. So us asking, like us thinking about this to ourselves, we live a different way of life now than we did in the past. Clean out. We may, you could say, take out the old man or the old woman. That's not who you are. You're in Christ now. Something has changed. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And he says, therefore, let us celebrate the festival, which God is calling them to do in Exodus. We're going to get there. Not with the old yeast, not of who we once were, but with the, with the yeast of malice and evil in this situation, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, which God has called them to. Let's live not in evil. Let's not do these things that we're celebrating over here, but live in truth of God and his word and in sincerity. Something has changed. The, the Paschal lamb, the Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let's now look at my iPad will go there. First Peter chapter 1. I'm not going to jump around too much longer. We're going to get right back in here. But I found it interesting that these couple passages that mention lamb, now it's mentioned, the lamb of God is also mentioned a ton in Revelation, but I'm not going to go through all of those. So they're worshiping the lamb. Revelation 22 ends, and he's talking about the lamb in the culmination of time. But here again, now we have Peter chatting about a lamb. He doesn't specifically say Passover lamb. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, um, I'm going to read verse 15. He's telling them, instead, as he who called you is holy, be yourselves holy in all your conduct, for it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He's talking to the churches in the diaspora. 
And he's calling them to a holy lifestyle, a lifestyle set aside to God. And in the midst of this conversation about being set apart for God, I'll just skip down to 18. He says, you know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors. So there is a way that your ancestors and all you behaved and acted out and, and did your thing, but God has ransomed you from that. And he says, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without, he's the same exact language as Exodus, without defect or blemish. It was destined before the foundation of the world and revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. But a couple things that I want to point out, uh, I want to ask us if we were back in their day, anybody have any farm animals here? Anybody? We have anybody. Yes? What do you have? Well, that's I need to get to know Brooke a little bit better. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, black Angus. Cows, that sounds great. Now I'm distracted for the rest of the message. Jeez, they're live now. They're live now. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. There's some movie of kids chasing cows and trying to kill them that's going through. Oh, heavyweights. Okay, never mind. Back on track. <clears throat> it's a great movie. If you were back in those days and you had your farm animals, or now if you had your farm animals, and God tells Moses and Aaron, he says, go and have them pick out. He says, go have them pick out their best. Go find this valuable lamb that you have without spot and without blemish. He doesn't say, go just find any, any lamb. He doesn't say, go find one that had, you know, that's been marred or something has happened to it or whatever. He says, go find your best, which to me makes me wonder, and God has searched my heart for when it comes to myself and sacrifice and offering things to God. Do I give him my best? <laughs> Am I going to go, this is my very best when it comes to my financial or resource giving or time or whatever it may be? Or is it kind of my leftovers, you know? Is it my lamb that, I don't know, that's, that, let's get rid of this one. But what's important that the connection being made here is that Peter is saying that Christ is that lamb without defect or blemish, recognizing the great value, Right? more valuable than gold or silver. God, when he gave his lamb to us, didn't just pick any old Joe walking down the street. Didn't say, one, two, three, four, you're dead. He gave his absolute best, which was pre-shadowed or whatever. As Israel participated, in, as they went out and you picked your lamb, you are getting your very best of tremendous, tremendous, tremendous value. When I was speaking to RFC the other night, I just remember being hit with, God, give us a revelation of your value. Like, I need a deeper revelation of your value of that Peter's talking about the lamb without spot, the lamb without blemish, the lamb more, power, more valuable than gold, the lamb more valuable than silver. But in this passage, it has to do with conduct again. You get it? Like it's simple and straightforward. Peter's saying because the Passover lamb Christ, or because the lamb, excuse me, has been sacrificed, that means that we conduct ourselves in a different way. He's pointing for something has changed tremendously. Be holy, be set apart to God and to his works.
So let's go back to Exodus. As I've kind of bounced. Um, So they go out and they're picking this lamb on the 10th day. They're giving their best. They're offering their best to God. It's weird kind of too because like I'm thinking like he's done nine plagues. Then all of a sudden God says, now you're going to sacrifice a lamb. Like he hadn't said that in any of the other plagues with the livestock or anything. Like he's saying, this is, this is it. This is very momentous. If you go to the next slide, please. Something was to take place then, and I think that's in around chapter, uh, verse 14. So on the 10th day, I'm trying to do this like a calendar, like the way it's written out. That made sense in my mind. On the 10th day of Nisan, you pick out the lamb. On the 14th day, two things happen. The first thing that happens is you rid your home of all leaven. And I read this a lot until, and I didn't really recognize how big of a deal this was until Sean, my friend from Israel, who married a Jewish woman, came over here. And when it came time for Passover, they got rid of all the leaven in their house. It was nice. I appreciated it because Taylor Place would get stocked with frozen breaded chicken and cereal of course, with him, there was some kind of gross stuff that he probably should have just tossed out that he would give. But like, could you imagine like this is every year? In fact, a lot of Jewish people look forward to this as they're like spring cleaning. Some of you would be like, that's kind of cool, actually. Get rid of all this junk, all this stuff that's been in my pantry or my freezer for too long. But God says, listen, listen, this is not just a, a one-day event. This is, in verse 14, he says, you shall celebrate it as a festival to God. So there are times that we may think that things that are spiritual are always very solemn or introspective, and absolutely there's times for that. But there's also times to get down and to celebrate what God is doing and what God has done. And he says, God tells him, this is not just like a one-day celebration. This is a, if you start in the day, the 10th day, go into the 21st day. So what that's, I mean, that's over um, a week and a half, Right? Not only that, you're also preparing, because if you're going to get rid of all your leaven, it's not, you got to think about that a little bit longer, right? Like you don't want to buy a whole bunch of leaven or breaded chicken or whatever it may be a day or two before you get rid of it all. If you're going to have leftovers, then you're just wasting your money. So like there's going to be this like lengthy celebration. And I thought to myself, like in America, we have a lot of like one day offs, right? When it comes to holidays, like 4th of July is great. But I don't do super a lot of planning. Uh, maybe some of y'all th- like have a million fireworks and stuff like, oh, we've done, yeah, we don't do all that usually. It's usually like, what kind of meat do I want? Do I want some black Angus steaks? Yes, I do. <laughs> Gosh. I got to move past this. <laughs> Sorry. It, I might turn up a few more if I keep going, but I'm done at this point in time. What's happening right now? <laughs> I'll just kill. <kidding. laughs> All right, we're talking about celebrating. Fourth of July, that's where I'm at. But oftentimes, like that, or we have Valentine's Day coming up, and I know my wife's been preparing for weeks for Valentine's Day. Like, she's like, I just love him so much. And that's what I've been doing. That's what I've been doing, babe. But in reality, eh, maybe we think of somewhere we're going to go have dinner, maybe get a little gift, but it's not this big, long celebration. But Christmas is in our culture. I think this is kind of, I'm kind of, whenever, whenever Thanksgiving's over, what do we do? 
we begin to celebrate this whole festival holiday season of putting up our trees and getting our you know, gifts for folks and having get-togethers, and it's just super fun. And I think that's one of the reasons we like Christmas so much. I do, like I thought about it. If we, do, we, we did Advent as a church and we're reading through and we're anticipating Christ, and it's this like long kind of celebration, you know, culmination of the year, and that's what God is, is, is doing this is such a momentous occasion. It's not just, it can't just be one day. It has to be celebrated the first day. The last day is they, they're, they're actually having an assembly where they get together for a week. Not only do they get rid of their leaven, but they only eat unleavened bread for a week. They're remembering. He's teaching them off the bat. This is so momentous. You're going to remember this for over a week. This is a celebration time. And as Ben pointed out, the kids are going to go, what are we doing? And you're going to be like, well, let me, just, let me tell you what happened. Another thing that takes place on the 14th day, if you go to the next slide, is that twilight, they actually sacrifice that lamb. So you, you get up, you got your leaven out of your house, you don't have any, you're making dough for unleavened bread, and then the celebration also kind of kicks off with the sacrificing of the lamb, which this is what God tells them to do here. He says, roast the lamb. He says, roast it whole. There's this idea of doing these things very quickly that I'm going to get at here in a second. But then he gives us this command, which, I mean, seems kind of strange almost. Take some hyssop, take the blood from the sacrifice, put it on the the sides and the lentils and the lentils. It's not lentils. What is it? It is. Lentil. It is lentil. I just kept thinking of beans whenever I said that, like I'm getting it wrong. Okay. But I kept thinking, well, there's no other word that's in my mind for that. (laughs) <laughs> and, 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 and put this over that. He's giving the Israelites, I love this because God is using his mighty hand, as been said, to bring this tremendous exodus way out from bondage and slavery. He doesn't have the Israelites jumping through this hoop and this hoop and this hoop and this hoop to be rescued from this. He gives them a simple command. He says, go find your best lamb, sacrifice it, take the hyssop, put it on around the door frame, and just wait for my deliverance. Wait, rest, and I will deliver you. I I started thinking back, and I was thinking, man, if I was there, like if Moses and Aaron said, hey, y'all, just know this is going to be a big final plague. (laughs) The firstborn are all going to die. I could get a little antsy there because I love my firstborn. Plus, I am a firstborn, but, <laughs> but I, like, I love all my kids. Like, to imagine like, that that could happen, I wonder if anyone was like, I'm just getting out of Egypt. I don't know. Like, I don't want to be around here for that. Or if anyone on the other extreme might say, what's the point of throwing blood on a door? Like, I'm an Israelite. I'm a Hebrew. God's been rescuing the land of Goshen. He's separated. He's not going to do anything if I just forget to do that. That's silly. But yet it's very clear that the ones who were rescued from this judgment that God pronounces on Egypt were only those who simply trusted and obeyed what God said to do. Okay, God, I'll take that. I'm going to put that on there. And I'm going to trust in your rescue. When we were taking communion a second ago, it really hit me as um, as Ben was talking and some of those things. And I thought to myself, where in my life do I need to apply the blood of what Christ has done and just wait for his rescue. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I get awful wiggly really fast. 
Anyone else struggle with that? And I try to figure it out. Like, I would, I would be the one trying to go to, out of Egypt. Like, hey, Ethan, let's get together. Maybe we can just get out of here. Just let's make sure <laughs> that nothing happens to us. But to go, no, let's just let's apply this blood and let's trust simple obedience and trust that the judgment's going to actually pass over us, that God's actually going to do what he said he would do. Next slide. After that, they sacrificed the lamb, and on that night in particular, God tells the Israelites, I want you to eat this, and I want you to have your staffs in hand. I want you to have your sandals on your feet. You're eating unleavened bread. What, is, what, what do you think this is God's telling? What is he trying to tell them? They got to go. <laughs> That's it. Like this is the, the, the idea that they're eating this unleavened bread and all this. I've heard a lot of different thoughts about it. But I mean, straight up, it is God is about to have such a decisive victory against the empire of the day, Egypt. The evil of the day. He's, his hand is going to be so mighty and powerful, they are going to say, get out now. And Israel, you're going to remember how powerful my hand is. Because when you even celebrate this, you're going to eat unleavened bread. Why do they have unleavened bread? They didn't have time for it to rise. They're out here. And, and I, I thought about this because he says, get ready with your staff in hand and your sandals on. It, it literally says, eat it in a hurry. Which for us, you know, we have such fast meals. Most of us do, right? Like even if we eat it with our family, I mean, what do you sit down for 10 or 15 minutes? Like if you timed it, it's really often not that long unless you maybe have friends over and then you're like, oh, we get to relax a little bit. But especially in their day and age, like there's no TV or anything. They enjoyed each other actually, you know? Like they actually enjoy spending time together and they would lean on each other and they would do things, you know what I mean? They would do these things. So for God to say hurry, like he was saying like, hey, you, you don't take all night because something's gonna happen in the middle of the night. He didn't say that here, but something's actually going to happen because they could have sat there and had dinner for hours. If you've gone to other cultures and stuff, anyone ever experienced like an hours and hours long dinner and everyone talking and enjoying themselves and all that kind of stuff, maybe you're going, good Lord, is this ever gonna end? I don't know. But in their culture, this is what took place. So he says, no, we can't do that this time. You gotta eat it in a hurry. Put them sandals on, have your staff ready. My victory is gonna be so decisive, boom, that they're gonna rush you out of Egypt. So next slide. That's exactly what happens. So we read here in this story that, that God pronounces his judgment on the firstborn of Egypt. And as he does this, there's this great wailing in Egypt. Except for everyone who applies the blood, who does a sacrifice, who trusts God and obeys, is f perfectly fine. But it's so impactful, which I can't imagine the horror of what's going on in Egypt, uh, what that would be like to experience. But obviously it's so impactful that it says that Pharaoh calls in the middle of the night. Like he's like, this is why God said, be ready. Don't spend all night celebrating and having this feast and then you're all groggy because something's about to happen. Literally in the middle of the night, he says, come here. And he gets Moses and he gets Aaron and says, okay, I'm, I, don't, I don't care about the herds. I don't care about the cattle. I don't care about any of this. Just get out. And all the other, Egypt, uh, the other Egyptians are like, yes, please get out of here. Here's our silver. Here's our gold. Like, they plunder the Egyptians. And even Pharaoh himself says, see, what verse is that in? 32. Yes, you know where I'm going with this. Even Pharaoh himself says, bless me. So Pharaoh, at the beginning of this, in his arrogance, 
Who is this God? I don't even know what God you're talking about. Obviously, our gods are far more powerful. You're our slaves. We're the strong power of the day. By the time God got done exercising his power, Pharaoh was saying, get out and please bless me, showing that who blesses who? The, the, uh, the stronger, yes. I was thinking inferior and the superior. That's what I was, I was trying to think of. The stronger, the superior blesses the inferior. And he's saying, because many pharaohs believe themselves to be God, or at least acted like they were to the people, but saying, no, I need a blessing. Your God is more powerful. What, what hope does that spring up in us? I, I don't know. Because we've talked about the empires of the day that we have in our culture, in our society, the, the systems of evil and, and injustice and going, God, will anything ever happen? And it's easy to lose hope and go, oh, God, I don't know. I guess I'm just holding on. But to recognize that God, when he decides enough, can change everything. And he can take the world's most, the biggest, like, he can take greed and power. Or he can take money and he can just bring that system. He can collapse it. And leave the system going, oh my gosh, I thought I was powerful. I'm nothing now. And that stirs up hope. And that type of hope is to be acted out with Israel. They're eating the unleavened bread. They're doing, God is having them like act out what is took in pla- what's taken place every year. Every year they're to be reminded of the hope that is in Yahweh. The, every year to like participate in the exodus. Isn't that cool? And the kids will ask if, like, we'll, in, in August, we'll do a Passover Seder again here, which we've done. I love them. It's so much fun. And it's, it's cool to participate in the story. And they love it. And I love it. And like, I think we should probably do more acting things out in the church. It rem- helps you remember stuff so much better. In their culture, everyone's not carrying around scrolls and tablets, especially not these bad boys right here. I, there's another joke that I was going to say that's probably not appropriate. So, I mean, it's not bad, but you know, I, that's why I was pausing for a second there. But they were an oral society. They had to pass this thing down. So what better way to pass it down than to act the thing out and to eat the unleavened bread for a whole week and remind ourselves of what God has done and what his victory and our hope and Yahweh and what he can accomplish. Man, it's so good. Next slide. So that brings us back to Jesus. And it brings us back to maybe a bigger picture of what God is speaking through him as he breaks the bread, as he institutes this Lord's Supper. First of all, I think it's really interesting that God chooses to have his firstborn die the same exact time when Egypt's firstborn died. That whenever his firstborn dies, when Egypt's firstborns die, what does it mean for God's people? Freedom, deliverance from bondage, a path towards promise. Might God be speaking through Jesus saying when this firstborn dies, it's freedom. It's freedom from bondage, and it's not just for Israel, it's for all of humanity, because this is my very best. This is my lamb without spot. This is my lamb without blemish. When Jesus takes the bread, and he begins to break the bread, and he's talking about his body and going, this is, this is my body, 
you know that these guys have been thinking for some time about Passover and like what that means in recognizing that not this body that's being broken, this is also symbolizing God's might and his power that, it, that, that they had to eat unleavened bread because God crushed that empire of the day. God crushed the evil of the day and brought the people from injustice into, and, and performed justice and brought them out. Might God be saying, my title of today's sermon is A New Day is Dawning. Might God be saying there's a new day that's starting to dawn. Whenever he's drinking the cup, and they're reminded of the blood even that was put on the doorpost and the sacrifice that's made and, and the forgiveness of, of sins. My, 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 what would they be thinking whenever he says, okay, but hey, this is a new covenant that I'm having with you. I guess they could probably have thought back to Jeremiah and said, okay, isn't there something about a new covenant that's supposed to be happening, about the law being written on our heart, about and the, the Spirit of God? Like the, I, don't, I don't know what's taking place, but God's saying for those who will participate in this covenant, a new day is dawning, a, a new freedom. I believe Jesus is saying a new exodus is taking place. This is, this is why he does this right before he dies on the cross. There was an exodus Thousand years, thousands of years ago, 1,500, whatever, years ago, now there's a new exodus that's taking place now that I am going to crush evil. And he does. He does not succumb to evil. Puts evil in its place, dies, resurrects, and gives those who will come into covenant with him a path to promise. But just like the Israelites, it didn't mean that everything was done. Oh, well, great. There was still wilderness to go through. There was still things to, that they were going to have to do on their way to promise. Jesus initiated his kingdom. It wasn't here in its fullness, but he started it. And the new exodus started, and the new exodus began, and they were invited to participate in that. Man, that brings me so much, so much hope. One thing that I was rest, thinking about this morning, though, was that I think when it comes to the church, oftentimes because we are not teaching and participating in the realities of this new exodus and God's kingdom uh, taking coming, coming to earth and all these things, we end up basically applying the blood and wandering around the wilderness. We don't know what to do. We're aimless. Like, I got my salvation. God rescued me. I'm free. But is there something for me to do? Like... But when we begin to think about what God is doing as an accomplishment, we, we recognize that that was just the beginning. That they were on a path. They were supposed to be on a path, which we'll get to, to promise. And that was going to be challenging sometimes. It was going to be difficult sometimes. But God actually had a purpose and a plan, and the plan wasn't to just go, thank you for my freedom, God, and I'm fine wondering. And I think we do that because we don't talk about these things and participate in them. Uh, I just want to end with a quote that I read from N.T. Wright on Monday morning. I sent it to a few people. I sent it, I sent it to either. I, was, I sent it to a couple people. I was like, hey, let me think about this. This is kind of cool. Go to the next slide, please. And then I forgot about it, and then I was doing the sermon, and I was like, oh, that kind of is pretty cool, and it kind of applies to what we're talking about today, and I love the way he said it. A sinning Christian is like someone walking on stage and reciting the lines that belongs to yesterday's play. So if we were a theater, and we had Stones River Theater, and we, were, we have a new play out, man, we're going to do The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But 
Dean, I can pick on Dean. Dean gets up and starts reciting Annie. Now, we did that in the last couple weeks. But that's not a play anymore, Dean. We, we would call that, I would call that around my house, he really deaned it. Because that's, that's the way, you, RFC, you can steal that, okay? That's what we say. Respect your, respect your leaders. Just JK. But it would be awkward, it would be weird, we would say, no, something has changed. And that's what Wright is trying to say is that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, because this Passover lamb has been sacrificed, something has totally changed. And I love the next line that says, we've been given new lines for a new play, the great drama, in which the royal priesthood takes up its duties. We have something to do. (laughs) The sacrifice wasn't just, hey, and let's wander in the wilderness. God has desired, um, you can go back to Old Testament, he has desired a people who are priests to God. And we see that. They will reign on the earth. Like, we have a job to be priest unto God and to be a light and to do, you know, to, to share that with our friends and our relatives and our community and all these things. And we know this. But because the Passover lamb died and sacrificed, it makes us able to do this. Let's not live doing the old play or let's not go back to Peter and Paul and have to say, that's the old person. That's not who we are anymore. There's a new day that's dawned, a new exodus that's happened, and we're invited into that. And man, that brings me tons of hope and gets me really excited. Woohoo! right? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, um, I, th- I thank you for teaching us in story and even teaching us uh, orally and acting the things out, helping us to remember how powerful your hand is. Because God, I will admit that there are times when I don't recognize that. There are times whenever I need to apply your blood and I need to rest in what you've accomplished and what you're doing and wait on you and there's times when I struggle with that big time and I try to do things in my own strength God there's times whenever I'm distracted Lord I just pray that we would be a people who learn how to take up this role that you've given us to be that royal priesthood to make disciples Lord of all nations from every tribe and language and people and nation to invite the world into this new exodus, God, this new freedom. There's so many people in this world that are completely bound up. Lord, I pray that if we have forgotten that, that you would remind us how bad it is to be in bondage. And God, if we're in bondage in areas of our life and we're not even aware, please reveal that to us so that we can be set free, but that we can call the world to a place of freedom and to a place of purpose. But it's all because of you. God, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.